0: And hello again, everybody. It's uh, time for another edition of THN on the Cube brought to you by BetMGM. He's Jamie Tozer. I'm Will McLaren. And not only is this another episode of THN on the Cube, it's our final episode for the foreseeable future, anyway, for the 2020, definitely for the 2022 23 season. Uh, We may be back in the summer if there's a few headlines that get generated between now and then. Otherwise, this is probably going to be it for us. uh, until late summer, early fall, once training camp comes in. And, uh, Jamie, uh, what a season it, it has been. Of course, we capped it off last week with the 2023 NHL draft, and uh, it was it was historic from the Q's perspective, but uh, not the kind of historic that uh, I think they were hoping for.
1: Yep, it feels like we're finally entering the true beginning of the off season now. With the uh, we're filming this on Tuesday night. I import drafts tomorrow—that really signals the beginning of the off season. Um, it's a short off season in the queue, obviously, with the the August training camps, which everyone just loves and adores. Um, but yeah, as uh, the NHL draft, uh, certainly not one to remember for the queue. Um, I think it will be remembered for the wrong reasons. Uh, but i mean well like i don't think anyone's really shocked by it it's just uh it's just not a great year not a great year for the queue um and i know we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show but um it, it's kind of just what it, one of those it is what it is um and hopefully if there were anything if anything could have been done to approve it hopefully it's it's made aware of um in this type of uh uh, I guess substandard draft class, if that's the right word, um, doesn't happen again um, in the future. But we'll we'll see if there's anything to be learned, or if this is simply just a, a bad a bad uh, class that there's really nothing we could do about
0: it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard to say exactly uh, what, if anything, this is indicative of. Uh, Jamie, um, twelve players selected overall—that's the fewest number ever. Um, previous low was thirteen back in nineteen seventy. But uh, a big difference between now and then, in 1970, the draft was really in its infancy. Uh, the league was in its first year, and there was 100, only 116 players selected that year. This year, 12 players out of 224, you Now, uh, under 5.5% of the total draft, which is, uh, by a bit of a margin, uh, the lowest ratio of QMJHL players selected. Is it a blip on the radar? Is it a sign of things to come? I mean, there's not... A lot being said about potential 2024 draft pr- prospects. You kind of have to go to 2025 preliminary lists, which right now are basically top tens, to find uh, Gabrielle Dagg from Victoriaville uh, amongst there. So, so we may be into a, a bit of a prolonged route. But uh, in, in any event, uh, still 12 players selected from the queue. And uh, full, uh, full credit to uh, those 12 guys who did get to hear their names called. Um, but it was the first time in 15 years and only the sixth time ever that a Q kid did not hear his name called on night one of the draft in round one. Uh, It took until pick number 37, Ethan Gauthier, who was um, for a long time, the consensus top Q prospect Uh, Etienne Morin gave him a bit of a run for his money this season, especially towards the end. And sure enough, those two guys go in the second round. Um, Gauthier going to Tampa Bay, uh, Moran going to Calgary at 37 and 48 respectively. Certainly no surprise of who the top two were, but um, you know in I think going back to that whole comment about uh, the dearth of uh, prospects in the league as a whole this year or high-end prospects, um, certainly uh, not, not the most ideal scenario for the queue for the in general.
1: Yeah, and we kind of knew that Gauthier was uh, a borderline late first round, early second round pick. So again, not a not a huge shock to see him end up going uh, on the second day of the draft. Um, it ends up going to a team, too, that's drafted quite a few Q players over the years, too. So not a huge shock to see uh, uh, Tampa draft Gauthier. Um Same with Calgary. Calgary in recent years has been heavy um, with Q players, even though they have a new general manager in place. Uh, seeing Moran go to the team that... Um, also drafted Jeremy Poirier, who interestingly is from the same town um, as Moran. Um, and certainly some Quebec connections on Calgary too with uh, with Huberto and Pelche there as well. So uh, uh, probably a, a bit of comfort for Moran knowing that he's going to a place where uh, there will be some familiar names and faces uh, uh, surrounding him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you, know, you mentioned you know, the uh, changeover uh, from uh, Brad Treliving recently in Calgary. Safe to say, I mean, it's still the same scouting staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they're using a lot of the same draft lists that were uh, developed uh, when Treliving was there. So uh, probably not a big surprise uh, that this regime is starting off by uh, selecting at least one player from the queue. By the way, 12 players selected, all from different teams within the NHL um but within the queue we did have some overlap but a couple of guys who were teammates this year um Gauthier's teammate uh, Justin Gill who's now in Bay-com-O, was picked by the New York Islanders in round 5 um but also a pair of Halifax uh, Mooseheads who you know we've been talking about it's probably been the running theme here um uh, I'm sure we've lost uh, viewership somewhere along the way because we seem to talk <laughs> about the Mooseheads every week as if it was our fault they were one of the top teams yeah. in the league, made it to the final, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, sure enough, uh, the round three selections, the only two from the queue, both from the Mooseheads Matthew Catford going to the to the Vegas Golden Knights and Dylan McKinnon. Um, he'll be joining a uh, teammate of his, or soon to be former teammate of his, Zach LaRue, in Nashville this coming fall.
1: Yeah and the Golden Knights uh, again another team that has drafted Q players fairly high in recent years, Lucas Cormier uh, going to Vegas a few years ago. Um, and you know the McKinnon McKinnon going to Nashville is a little interesting just because uh, the style that McKinnon plays that big physical style, um, even though he's a defenseman and Zach a forward you know that's kind of the, the same type of style that those two play and I think it, that feels like kind of the style that the Nashville Predators play. Or their identity that they've always kind of been. Um, and certainly with Perry, Barry Trotz as their GM, now you have to think that that's the type of player they're, they're looking at uh, moving forward. Yeah,
0: definitely. And you see them, you know, snapping up Ryan O'Reilly for, for just one example yeah. uh, early on day one, of free agency here uh, back on Saturday. Yeah. There's, there's probably no question what kind of uh, stamp uh, Barry Trotz wants to put on the team. Similar stamp that he had on the team when he was the head coach. So, uh, probably no surprises there. Uh, round four was the busiest round for the queue. Uh, I don't mean that in a snarky sort of way, but it, admittedly, there were only three guys picked. So, read into that what you will. But uh, Andre Lashko, uh, recently acquired by the Rand uh, Rand Huskies, is headed to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Cam Squires from Cape Breton, who had a tremendous season with the Eagles. Uh, he is now a New Jersey Devil property and uh, a goaltender. And we were we were saying this before the draft began. Jamie, will there be a goaltender from the queue selected because the top ranked guy was uh, Kenton Miller out of uh, the uh, Quebec Rampart, the defending Memorial Cup champions, of course. So you have a backup goaltender as the top ranked guy out of the league, and he was and he was ranked, I believe, ninth out of North American goaltenders. When you're ranked that low not factoring in the European goaltenders that would also be in the mix. You wonder if a guy's going to get selected. Not only does he get selected, he gets selected right around the midway point of the draft. So uh, good for him, because clearly the guys down the road in Montreal saw something in Quentin Miller during uh, his uh, time between the pipes with the Rampard.
1: Yeah, and it was a little bit surprising to see him go this high and, again, just for the exact reasons you just outlined just because the rankings are a little tough to read for goaltenders just because you know you have to add them in amongst the North American and European skaters plus the other European goaltenders it's tough to kind of get a read of where exactly they might end up in the draft and um, you know certainly being ranked ninth amongst North American goaltenders you have to wonder if there's a chance you might not get drafted uh, but for Miller to go fourth round obviously the Habs uh, think very highly of him and um, this is a goaltender who was a backup last year. I believe he only has 20 games in his career um, so far. So this is a, uh, an intriguing pick and one that I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how Miller plays over the next couple of years because um, I think this is a guy who's flown under the radar for a lot of uh, Q followers uh, simply because he hasn't played a lot. So um, to get drafted this high, certainly uh, he's going to have a lot of eyes and attention on him over the next couple of years uh, to see how he progresses.
0: Yeah, and, and being thrown into the number one or, or having first crack at the number one uh, uh, spot in netting Quebec next year, of course, yeah. with the trade of William Russo. So uh, going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, on a,
1: yeah, uh, on a team that's not going to be as, as defensively strong either.
0: Exactly, exactly. He's going to see his share of rubber as uh, Simon Gagne and his crew uh, start building things back up. Uh, in Quebec. Uh, true, Probably a true rebuild, really, for the first time in that franchise's history. So, And and Miller will be a key piece of it, of course. And, of course, Montreal Canadiens hope he's a key piece of uh, their history as well, or their future. Um, Round five, we already touched on Justin Gill very briefly, one of two guys selected in round five. The other guy, for my money, uh, Jamie, probably the most intriguing guy that gets selected in the entire draft from the queue only because he was the only guy who never showed up on any rankings this year. Marcel Marcel from the Gatineau Olympic, and and this may be key, the Czech national team at the World Juniors this year that went, won silver, goes to Chicago with the 131st overall pick. Um, when I was hitting refresh on my browser there on, uh, on Thursday, Jamie, that's not a name that I was expecting to see pop up um, when it did. I wasn't expecting to see it at all.
1: Marcel, Marcel, how do you do in a double take is what you're saying, Will. Marcel,
0: Marcel, the man who every time I put his name down in an article or in a script for this show, word makes me, word wants to change it because they think I'm using duplicate words. Yes, that guy.
1: <laughs> well, definitely one of the best names in the draft to be picked. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly a player who is surprising to see picked for, again, for the reasons you outlined, he wasn't on any list that I saw or any mock draft season. Um, and he went, again, pretty, not real high, but fairly high fifth round. So um, obviously the Blackhawks think pretty highly of him to use a pick on him. Uh, and no, I'm not I'm not saying this as a knock on Marcel and his skill level, but to use a pick on him at all, they obviously think very highly of him because, you know, you have to think that they might have been able to get him outside the draft um, if they really wanted him. Um, but I also kind of wonder if maybe this is a player who was drawing attention from a lot of other teams as well and that we just didn't quite know about um, for the Blackhawks to grab him this some, somewhat early-ish in the draft, um, but again, didn't have uh, didn't have the greatest you know eye-popping season in Gatineau no numbers-wise, um, but did have a really strong World Juniors, so you have to think that that played a role. Um, and kind of cool to see you know a, a country like Czechia do so well at the World Juniors and, and get a lot more attention than they would uh, they would otherwise.
0: Yeah, and and for Marcel Marcel to do as well as he did. Uh, for that uh, Czech team, really out there in, in many situations, getting key minutes at times. Um, that was a stacked Czechia team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy like Yuri Kulich, and uh, just just to name one guy. You know, of course, the back end uh, was, was very strong as well. Uh, a very well balanced uh, team that could put out any number of um, star players. Um, yep. or future star players in the pro ranks. And he still found a way to make an impression. Um, I think that's, that says a lot about it. And, I, and If I was to guess, um, those two weeks in Halifax, um, between Christmas, New Year's, and a little bit beyond, and uh, him being a key piece in uh, the Czechs uh, winning a medal of any color for the first time in 18 yeah. years had to have played a key factor in, in his being drafted. So congrats to him. Uh, on to uh, rounds six and seven. One guy in round six, a guy who was not getting a lot of fanfare early, simply because he was injured. But by the time it came to, uh, by the time it came to where he was drafted, and I think we can say this for all three of the guys we're about to talk about, Jamie. Certainly. I know I felt the same way. A couple of others that I was talking to were in the same boat. It felt, it felt, like they, it felt like he was selected lower than anybody would have expected. Um, that's Luke Coughlin of the uh, Ocean Oceanic. And you could say that same thing about about the two seventh rounders. Uh, Luke went to Florida, by the way. Mateo Mann going to the Philadelphia Flyers, whose stock did rise a little bit throughout the season to the point where a lot of people thought he might go – you know, third or fourth round. And then finally, uh, the guy who closed out the draft uh, from, picked by Columbus, Tyler Petal, who was, uh, we mentioned it already on the show this time last year, Tyler Petal was expected to be challenging for one of the uh, higher selections amongst QMJHL players in this draft. And instead he's the guy who closes it out at number 224 in round seven
1: yeah, and I kind of feel like these three are are kind of why we have you know kind of a, a bad feeling about this draft. If all three of these guys had gone you know fourth, fifth round, maybe we feel a little bit better about how this draft went. but to see them um, you know, maybe slide down a little bit further, sixth and seventh round, I think that that kind of kind of leaves us with a bit of disappointment for how this draft went for the queue. Um, but obviously great for those three to get drafted. Um, and certainly great story for Pedal to go. Um, last overall because he was at the draft and to see the reaction from uh, the crowd and his family was really cool. And a guy who, uh, a guy who, you know, we've talked a lot about this year, Will, and he's got a, you know, we talked, it was a big year for him this past season. Didn't really go as well as planned, Um, but he's got a really good, he's going back to a really good Drummondville team Uh, joining Ethan Goche, He's got a new coach that we'll talk about later in the show. A lot of uh, high expectations for this Volts team. Um, and I I you know, maybe this will be the spark that he needs to kind of kind of uh, meet the projections that were uh, he faced entering the league uh, that hasn't quite lived up to yet, but uh, still lots of time. Um, he's got a good team to go back to. Uh, I'm curious to see how uh, Pedal can kind of uh, turn this around uh, over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know in fairness to to Tyler, uh, you know, being as ranked as high as he was, certainly don't fault him for going to the draft that, that sure. that's for sure um but yeah to to uh, uh be squirming in your seat all day yeah. and waiting for that opportunity uh that that's a sense of relief that uh, you know it's hard to hard to replicate for sure um and it will be interesting to see uh, what he and his voltage teammates do uh with the uh, litany of changes that are taking place there uh, hopefully ones that will make a high impact. We'll just close out our uh, talk about the draft. Mention uh, there's a couple of guys amongst the higher-ranked guys not selected. Cole Burbage, highest Q player not chosen. He was ranked 116 amongst North American skaters. Jordan Terrigne, who at 16 looked to be a sure-shot high-end draft pick, ends up not getting selected at all. Um, after uh, kind of a tough year uh, uh, coming off a championship run in Schwinnigan in 2022, second year in a row that the last pick in the draft came from the queue. Ivan Zhingalov, the former Sherbrooke Phoenix goaltender, was the uh, man of the hour in 2022. Uh, Tyler Peddle, of course, this year. Um, and, you know, back to back to what we alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, Jamie, it'd be interesting to see what the rankings show next year because, we may be not, maybe not in as dire a situation for prospects in the queue, but there's certainly, it seems maybe not quite a high quantity of high end prospects that will hear their name called in 2024.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the reaction to how this draft went again is kind of showing of where things are right now. Cause I think if if the queue had, you know, right now, 10 projected first rounders next year, that's all we'd be hearing about right now. That's, you know, this is just the blip on the radar. Wait till next year. It'll all, it'll all even out in the end or the next few drafts. Um, But we're not really hearing that. Um, I think there's a chance that it could be a little bit of a better draft. I think there's probably a couple guys who have a strong chance to go in the first round. Um, But again, we'll see how things shake out. Um, We might've thought that at the same time, at this point last year. Um, So let's kind of just see how things play out. I don't think it's time to have, you know, the full blown panic yet. I think, I think this is a trend that has to go for, you know, extended number of years for this to be really worrying. Um, but at the same time, I think it's worth, you know, having conversations like this because if there is, you know, an issue with development that can be fixed quickly, I think it's worth, you know, discussing and looking at, um, but I don't think all the blame goes on the queue either. I think that this is a bigger problem. I think that this goes to Hockey Canada, Hockey Quebec, the four Atlantic uh, Hockey Federations. So this, is, this isn't just the, you know, the queue doesn't just uh, pull these players, you know, teach them how to skate and stuff like that. This is uh, like they're, they're taking these players uh, as they are out of uh, a 16-year-old. So I think this is a, a bit of a deeper problem than the queue, um, even though there's a lot of attention uh, and focus on them.
0: Yeah, And then the other wild card that comes into play, of course, the fact that virtually everybody drafted in this draft missed an entire season of key Mm -hmm. development um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Does that play a factor? There were certainly, you know, even even the OHL, um, you know, obviously they had a more successful draft than Q, that goes without saying. But, you know, they didn't hear one of their players' names called until pretty much midway through the first round, which is virtually unheard of. The WHL certainly led the pack amongst the three junior leagues, but, you know, right neck and neck with them was as usual, the U S national development team, uh, Sweden, uh, players from Sweden, um, probably, uh, you know, maybe a few more uh, players from Russia selected than what might've been selected as uh, projected in the first round, uh, given everything that comes with that so um you know there's a lot that's kind of i would say muddying the waters that's a very bad way to put it but certainly um there's a a greater overall spread where the talent is coming coming from but i agree with you jamie you know if 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 it doesn't get rectified in the next year or two then now then would be the time to really have a serious discussion on, on what exactly is going on and how you'll be able to tell how easily or, or how much it's being rectified as seasons go on is simply how competitive is the queue on the grander stage. Are there, are there uh, still the same quantity of pro players mm-hmm. in the NHL, in the minor leagues? Are they performing as well at the Memorial Cup? It'll all be stuff that we're going to be watching and everybody else will in the years to come. Um, now let's talk about the year to come because there are three guys who will be calling new places home behind the bench? Uh, the most recent of these announcements came on Monday. Sylvain Favreau, who uh, abruptly stepped down from the Halifax Mooseheads uh, a couple of weeks back, he has resurfaced in Drummondville, actually following the footsteps of another former Mooseheads coach yeah. in uh, Dominique Ducharme, who mm-hmm. also went to Drummondville a number of years ago. Uh, Drum <laughs> actually, and 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 of course. Uh, you know, the guy this time last year who was coaching up there, uh, another guy who's not unfamiliar to the Halifax ranks, Steve Hartley. So there's a bit of a halifax Drummondville connection yeah. there on the coaching ranks. But Favreau uh, makes his uh, debut behind the Voltigeur bench this fall. Um, s- elsewhere in Quebec, uh, former Quebec Rampire associate coach and recent Memorial Cup champion, Benoit de Rosier, has been named the head coach in Gatineau. And finally, Matthew Turcotte. Was the uh, was named the head coach in Blaineville both of those guys their first head coaching jobs in the queue we wish them all the best after extended periods of time as assistants throughout the league so Jamie uh, your thoughts on all three of these gentlemen
1: well turcott and derosier I don't know a ton about just given that they don't have a lot of head coaching experience in the league but um, you know their resumes show that they're kind of worthy of, of a head coaching chance I think you know guys who have for around a decade been assistant coaches around the league. So certainly uh, have, have paid their dues and to, to work their way up to a head coaching position. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how that works out and to see some, some new faces behind the bench and what kind of styles that they, uh, they adapt. Um, but the Favreau, I, I really like the Favreau hiring for Drummondville. I think he's a good fit for that core and where they're at and their build there. Uh, it's tough to compare them to the Mooseheads of last year, but you know, the, again, the, the Bolts have a lot of really good players similar to the Mooseheads. Um but I think that they're they're obviously a team that underachieved last year. And I think he's got I think Favreau's job now is to take a team that has a really good roster and try to push them to the next level. Um and we saw th- him do that with the Mooseheads this year uh over the course of the season. Um so I'm really interested to see what he can do in Drummondville. I think uh I think he's got a good chance to really uh push them to being a very good team next year. Um, It's certainly be a lot of attention on this Volts team too. Um, They've got a lot of talent. um, And again, they underperformed last year. So it'll be interesting to see um, what they can do this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're comparing uh, just in very general terms, I would say it's safe bet to say, Jamie, the core of that Voltageer team is probably on average about as old as the Moosehead's core was last year uh, on balance. Mm -hmm. But in terms of talent, they're about the equivalent of where the Moose says we two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of results, they're where the Moose says we're three years ago. Um, so it's going to be, you say interesting. I think it's going to be, it's going to take a lot for it not to succeed. I'll go out on a limb and say that. I think it does feel like a very good fit. Um, first of all, that group needs a new voice. For sure, um, for sure yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's ramping up to be a big year. Obviously, they they acquired Ethan Gauthier at the draft. Uh, Tyler Peddle, as we already mentioned, looking to rebound. In Nets, you know what? They can be as strong as any team on any given night. Yep. Uh, with Riley Kit, uh, with um, Riley Mercer, I should say behind, uh, not Riley Kitt. Uh That would be interesting though that would be on, that would be interesting yes maybe you could challenge uh, quentin miller in the Habs training camp uh but uh riley mercer um so that there's pieces there and uh, i think sylvan sylvan had to put those pieces together in halifax um so it's not to say that he can't do the same thing uh, in drummondville plus mm-hmm. he's closer to home for so from a yep. personal standpoint it all works out uh, i think for for everybody involved um Briefly on DeRozzi and Turcotte, of course, uh, longtime assistant coaches. They're actually uh, co-assistant coaches uh, with the Shkudmi-Sagnia about uh, 10 or 11 seasons ago under Marc-Étienne Hubert, just before Yannick John got to Shkudmi. So uh, certainly not unfamiliar to one another uh, when, they, when the Olympic and the Armada face off against each other for the first time this fall. Um, something we were going to talk about last week, uh, we didn't have the opportunity, uh, but it's—I I think it's there's a lot of different ways that you could go in this conversation. It involves the Saint John Sea Dogs and uh, Jamie. Uh, obviously, you have um, a, a bit more skin in the game on this one, so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Um, but the Sea Dogs held a prospect camp um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you were in attendance. It was at the Cuplex uh, in Quispam sys which, for those who don't know, is a suburb of St. John. Um, there were a couple, uh, three of the American prospects uh, there. And um, apparently, it wasn't met with the uh, greatest of responses throughout the league. Um, quite frankly, it's something that I don't. From what I can recall, I don't ever recall something like this being done before. There's nothing in the league's constitution that outlaws it. But, and I go back to the point about three American prospects in that camp. Those guys can't play in, a, in an organized training camp. So you're circumvent for more than 48 hours, or else they lose NCAA individ- eligibility. This gives those guys a bit of an extra taste of what Q can be like. Um, so it, it, it's an intriguing idea, but I wonder if it's opened up a few eyes and ears and maybe not in the best of ways. Uh, Jamie, what are your thoughts on, on the idea to hold this, uh, camp first of all? And if you were to guess, what do you think the league might do about this or things like this going forward?
1: Well, the interesting part about this, Will, is that this is actually the third time the Dogs have held this camp. Um, they held it 2018 and 2019. Um, and then they hadn't, they hadn't been able to hold it since because of COVID. Um, so this is the first time it came back. Um, but this is kind of the first time I've heard a lot of uh, some pushback and questioning of the concept Um I think it's I mean, I may I'm sure some people will think, wow, this guy's really biased towards Saint John. Uh, but I think you know, it's hard not I to look at it. <laughs> it's hard
0: it's hard I, not I, to I look. At, okay,
1: <laughs> okay. It's hard not it's hard not to look at this and say, Well, this seems like a good idea. Like all of these players that St. John draft, all these American players that never come to the queue, they never come to the camp. They show up in the queue land, um, you know, they get a good taste of what's going on. They um, you know, they, they see the facilities, they, they see their, their equivalents and get to have some training camps, some practices against them. Um, but there's no doubt that this was a bit of a, and there's no doubt that there was a bit of a recruiting tool for St. John and it was in 2018 and 2019 as well. This is held in conjunction, uh, with the CEDAWs hall of fame weekend and the prospects attend that event. Um, and just like the past two years, there are some speeches from former coaches and former players, and they're directly speaking to those prospects. Um, about major junior and about the sea dogs. So um, there's no, there's no doubt that this is a recruiting tool, but again, I mean, I don't know if that's really a bad thing. And I think um, this is again, one of those things where I know a lot of teams probably don't like it. Um, But if this gets the best players, the queue, I think it's maybe a good idea. Um, (laughs) I was also thinking, you know, huge, huge thoughts, uh, of ideas that, you know, if this was something that caught on throughout the league and every team had one, um, you know, maybe we could even reduce some of the August training camps because teams get a, get a look, get a look at some of those younger players um, that they have to bring in before the, uh, the stage rule comes into play.
0: Uh, yeah. A couple of things on my side for this. Um, it definitely is being creative. Um, it's not going against the rules. So, Why not? Um, I think the majority of teams in the league would have the wherewithal to do this. Um, And the majority of teams in the league, if not all of them, would have, um, if they so desired, the alumni to bring in to uh, sort of produce the sales pitch, so to speak. Um, You know, the management group in St. John does things a little different. Let's not, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing or a good thing or otherwise, but um, Anthony Stella and before him, Trevor Georgie very much look at this. I find more than other teams, they put the business side of things and the hockey side of things on very even footing. And that doesn't happen with a lot of other markets. Um, Quite frankly, I think it's a big reason why Trevor Georgie is fully in the business side of things now with the new ownership group for the sea dogs or the reconstituted ownership group um they come up with ideas they build teams in a way that i'm sure doesn't sit well with a lot of people uh conventional hockey people um but they do have a memorial cup banner uh hanging in that building that is fully due to them um and quite frankly, they have a few seasons ahead of them before they are potentially competitive again. So why not? And it's not just because they're where they're at in their building cycle. I mean, uh, the Ruan-Noranda Huskies could be doing this exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they Everybody makes selections. They have to make selections of American players. That's a rule in the league. So why not, instead of just... Picking a guy, calling him up and say, hey, you've been drafted by, you know, the Sherbrooke Phoenix or the Charlottetown Islanders and say, hey, would you like to come here and really do a half-hearted half sales pitch? Why not put a little bit of vump behind it where you legally can, and these players can legally do this without losing their standing with U.S. College? Not to say that it's going re- it's, it's to be a home run every single time, but it's better than what teams are doing now and to the point about uh a bit of a dearth of talent at the nhl draft this year and it may happen again maybe not to the same extent but it could happen again you know what maybe this is going to get some of these guys on the radar um you know that we've already seen a couple of guys commit to uh, the ushl from quebec um if that becomes a trend the queue is going to have to counterpunch and maybe this is one of the ways they can do that. So, um, no, I, I have no particular issues with this. I think it's creative. I think it's um, uh, I think it's bending the rules, maybe. It's good content. It's good content. content. Yeah. It's not following it. It'll, it's, it's following the letter of the law and maybe not necessarily the spirit of the law. But I also wouldn't want to see it outlawed as well. I'd want to see other teams take full advantage of it. And try and improve their teams. That's what the name of the game is. Improve your team. Cultivate prospects. Make it a good experience for more players. Can't fault them for that. So we'll see if anything does come out of it, much like we'll see if anything comes out of the CHL import draft. We know that something will come out of the CHL import draft. It does every year. Um, We're not going to talk a whole lot about potential prospects because you and I. Come on, Will. um, Okay, fine, fine. (laughs) I will tell you my top 10 Slovenian recruits in this import draft um it might get wiped uh connor only has so much time to edit this but uh, you can be assured i've talked about it um draft takes place wednesday which will be tomorrow uh from when we're taping uh, it'll probably be the same day a lot of people are listening to this this will probably be out on wednesday uh bathers the first q team to pick they pick second overall the Yuri otters at the top pick Back holds the final Q picks at 53 and 113 draft starts 11 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Atlantic via conference call. And uh, we will all learn a whole bunch of new names from various places around the world. And then those teams will hope to heck they actually show up this fall. <laughs> the dance continues. James. Yes.
1: Yes. The, <laughs> I've labeled this for years, the weirdest draft in all of sports. I don't think there's really anything comparable to this. Um i I'd like to know elite prospects. I'd like to know the height the spike in their page views on the import draft day every year. Um seems kind of quiet. Like it, I don't know, like it maybe it's just because um you know the CDOWs have already announced that they're passing on both their picks, but it seems kind of quiet this year. Like it doesn't seem like there's a, there's a lot of buzz. And I saw um Willie Paloff had an article about the Mooseheads picks and the Chronicle Herald and and General Manager Camp Russell kind of you know. Downplaying their picks a little bit, you know, not even sure if they're gonna pick one or two, which uh, seems a little surprising. But we'll see, see, uh, see how that goes. Um, I believe that when I yeah. see, yeah, yeah, right. But certainly, you know, moose is. I think the and again getting our Musa's content in for the show. Uh, I think they're kind of a team to watch just because they have a long history of uh, sneaky good import picks, guys we have never heard of that end up, you know, going second overall, first overall in the NHL draft. Um, but it hasn't, hasn't been a really a great run for the Mooseheads, um, these past few years compared to the McKinnon era. Um, so curious to see how they can do that. And they're not picking very high. Um, uh, but again, doesn't really matter a ton in the import draft where you pick. Um, uh, it's all about really who, you know, um, and, uh, so the Mooseheads, I'm kind of keeping an eye on, keeping an eye on uh, any, you know, draft eligible 17 year olds that come to the queue, those high end guys, um, and Bathurst picking number two. Uh, interesting to see uh, who comes there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Moncton will have uh, spots to fill. Uh, Rin Randa, we can be assured won't be picking. For example, they have Daniel yep. Borash, and uh, now Andre Loshko, so, which means that Chikudemi will be looking uh, as a, as an up and coming team. So uh, we shall see where uh, where the chips fall. And of course, as we said, it's a two pronged thing. Number one is selecting the players. Number two is seeing which ones actually show up in north america come the fall so uh that leaves us with one thing left on the missive for 2022 2023 this is episode number 32 by the way of of our podcast um and how i know that is because we're going to talk about team number 32 amongst our nhl teams in the weekly profile that's the tampa bay lightning and actually i should uh i should uh, change that it's actually episode 33 because we were supposed to talk about the lightning last week and we ran out of time. So let's talk about the lightning. Of course, there's a name to add to the uh, drafted players of the queue. Ethan Goche, of course, going uh, last week to the lightning in round two. We've already talked about him, yep. a couple of other guys, uh, Dylan Gill uh, selected in the seventh round, uh, a second last pick, if I'm not mistaken, or third last pick in 2022. And uh, Cam McDonald, who has recently made his way to the Cape Breton Eagles after uh Winning a Memorial Cup in St. John in 2022 and having a long playoff run in Gatineau in 2023. He was selected in the fifth round of 2021 by the Lightning.
1: Yeah, and Gil, uh, big defenseman, 6'2, 188, um, <clears throat> Moncton Flyers grad. We know that that's a program that's really developed some good defensemen in recent years. Um, yeah, A pretty good year, 57 points in 68 games. Um, uh, had 21 in his first year, so a, a good improvement on the offensive side as well. Um, so certainly a, a, I would say a promising prospect uh, given his uh, his uh, size and his his ability to increase his offensive output. Um, <clears throat> McDonald wasn't signed by the Lightning, so he's a free agent now. Um, it's been an eventful offseason for McDonald's family who uh, as we mentioned on the show, lost their home in the uh, Halifax area wildfires. Um, he was at the Seattle's development camp, he was actually uh, behind the bench for a little bit of it during some of the three-on-three play, uh, working uh, with some of the prospects there. So that was neat to see. Um, traded to Kate Breton, as you mentioned, well, I think he, there's a chance that he's one of the better overage players in the league next year. Um, if, if the Eagles kind of take off – nope, sorry for the pun – if they take off the way that we kind of expect them to take off, uh, I think that this is a, the style that McDonald plays – um, and the offense that he can produce, I think that he has the ability to be have a really strong uh, overage season with the Eagles.
0: And uh, AHL is ripe uh, with uh, Tampa Bay uh, connected guys from the queue, the Syracuse Crunch, with uh, as many as nine in the, on the roster at any given time. You, you got certain guys who are just career minor leaguers, guys like PC Labrie, who, who made a reappearance, almost made the Lightning's opening night roster after not playing the NHL game in about nine years, I believe um, guys like Sean element, Felix Robert, Gabriel Dumont, who was a 50 goal guy in Drumville at one point and guys who, you know, don't count them out. There could still be an NHL career to be had and, I, and the, uh, or a continuation in some cases. And the, the two for me anyway, that uh, spring to mind immediately uh, on our list, Jamie, Philip Myers, mm-hmm. and uh Gabriel Forche, um, uh, two of the younger guys on that overall list who uh, could still see some action in the big show.
1: Yeah, this is a this is a strong list. And we mentioned how the Lightning liked drafting Q guys. And, you know, these aren't, you know, four, third and fourth liners. These are like some really substantial guys who had great careers in the Q um, that are, are finding their way in the program, pro game. Um, and one of the names that sticks out for me is Max Legacy, who, Uh, has one of the craziest uh, hockey DB pages. He he has played for pretty much every team in North America, I think. And I I actually saw that he's, he's signed to play in Sweden next year. Um, So this could be, this could be the end of the run in North America. One of the greatest North American runs of of all time.
0: Four teams in the queue as well. including the uh, poor one out for the formerly named PEI rocket uh, who used to be an absolute, Pain. Uh, I used to cover the Moncton Wildcats in those days, and uh, Moncton was a bit of a better team than PEI in those days, and Max Legacy could come in to the Moncton Coliseum cool, like, and be 40, yeah. make 45 saves and just mm-hmm. absolutely ruin people's nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, only one guy in the NHL uh, from the cube, but boy, what a guy it is. And it's funny, Jamie, I heard like... I recall vaguely this guy playing in the queue, but he had such a short career in junior. He's a European player um, that you almost had to remind yourself that he was here. Um, It's Nikita Kucherov, who actually split the 2012-2013 season between the Quebec Vampire and the Miranda Huskies. I remember him a little bit more from uh, the Huskies playoff run that year. Uh, where they uh, made it to, I believe, round three and lost to the uh, eventual Memorial Cup champions from Halifax. There's uh, another Moosehead's nod, by the way. Um, But uh, uh, a guy who went from maybe a little bit of an obscure Q player to a very much not obscure NHLer who now has two cup rings.
1: 53 points in 27 games with through and Aranda <laughs> and 24 points in 14 playoff games. Wasn't here for a long time, but he was, he was having a good time.
0: Absolutely. Well said. So that about does it for us. Um, it's been a pleasure bringing all the news from the queue to all of you all season long. And we look forward to doing it again next year. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much. You've been the co host, co uh, host, between the dry wit, the uh, Sea Dogs insight, and uh, the uh, knowledge of uh, the big ice and shikudami. You brought it every week, and it's always greatly appreciated. Um, of course, Connor Somerville, behind the scenes, our producer. Uh, who uh, puts up with us week in, week out, and fights with me for every second of airtime time on this show. Uh, the battles get rather epic, and uh, they're probably better than what we bring you every week. Uh, so it's a shame you have, you don't get, you have viewers and, and listeners don't get to hear that. And of course, our many, co- our many hosts and sometimes co-hosts that we had on throughout the year has been nothing but a pleasure. Jamie, some final thoughts from you on the season and even on the podcast in general. Uh, for year one
1: yeah it was a blast uh definitely fun to watch and uh, a lot of different q teams uh, that i wouldn't watch otherwise for the show so it was a blast to 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 do that and talk about it Uh, many thanks to connor for making us sound good um and special thanks to you will for putting the show together pretty much every week i kind of just just show up with my notes so thank you for uh, keeping the train on the tracks uh it was a blast uh let's uh let's hopefully do it again next year
0: no doubt. Um, until we hear otherwise, um, you listening public are stuck with us. So uh, you've got that to look forward to come the fall. And again, if if mm-hmm. enough news breaks uh, yeah. in the off season, for sure, you, you may see us uh, uh, report on that, uh, put out a little episode uh, here or there. But otherwise, uh, that'll be it for us until late summer, early fall. So for Connor Somerville, for Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McLaren. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. Thn on the queue, brought to you by BetMGM. We will see you in the fall.